You're listening to SA Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions involving the Alamo City. I'm your host and favorite retirement advisor, Zachary Espericueta. Today is Saturday, October 16th, and this week I have Dr. Shawana Chambers, aka Dr. Shea, joining me on the podcast. Dr. Shea is the Chief Academic Officer at Compass Rose Public Schools, and in addition to that is a national award-winning and board-certified pre-K through 20 educator with experience that spans primary, secondary, and even higher education. In addition to being named New Teacher of the Year back in 2009, the National Council for Teachers of English awarded her with one of its Early Career Educator Awards, and she also received the Principal's Award on her campus back in 2010. Shawana has founded both a nonprofit organization and a private consulting firm. That consulting firm, Dr. Shea Ed LLC, is dedicated to helping clients meet their personal goals and milestones through carefully planned and executed plans. From life strategy coaching to instructional consulting, Dr. Shea helps people assess their options and develop a strategic course of action to achieve their desired results. Shawana earned her BA in multidisciplinary studies from Texas Lutheran University, and after her successful tenure there at TLU, went on to obtain her master's in educational administration from Grand Canyon University and eventually her PhD in curriculum and instruction from Capella University. She also received a graduate certificate from George Mason and was part of the superintendent program at UTSA here in town. Lastly, she was a class of 2018 New Leaders Council San Antonio Fellow and 2019 Leadership SAISD Cohort member. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Dr. Shawana Chambers. Dr. Chambers, I appreciate you joining me on SA Talk. I'm really excited to talk to you. You know, the whole point of this podcast series is to get to have these great discussions with people in the community that are doing great things, and especially people in education. I think, you know, on our pre-call, I kind of mentioned that I have a little bit of background in education as far as my family goes, not myself per se. I guess you could, I would argue that I teach about financial literacy a little bit, but uh, my parents were educators, not me. My grandparents were educators. My brother's going to be in education. He's about to graduate from UTSA. But when I get to speak to educators, I mean, I, I love it. I love it. I love bringing it into this podcast. So again, Dr. Chambers, thank you for joining me on Essay Talk. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for uh, the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. I like to learn more about people and what we're doing here in San Antonio. Well, and speaking of doing things here in San Antonio, it seems like you've done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so are you from San Antonio originally? I am. I grew up on the southeast side of San Antonio. I went to um, East Central ISD schools and SAISD schools, lived um, like Pecan Valley in that area. Okay. Um, But yeah, my family is from here as well. How did you get started in education? Was that something that you felt like was just a natural fit early on? You knew you wanted to be a teacher or was it kind of just something that happened? Um, So no, when I was in school, I actually wanted to be an IT. I wanted to be um, a computer engineer. And then in eighth grade, uh, Miss Virginia Peterson, she was my English teacher at Rogers Middle School. We were doing some type of activity and we had to talk about what we wanted to be. And she saw that I said I wanted to, you know, work with computers. And she said, well, you know, Shawana, I think you would be a great eighth grade English teacher. And I laughed at her (laughs) because (laughs) education was absolutely not something I wanted to do. And fast forward to undergrad, 
uh, went to Texas Lutheran University, uh, majored in or started my major in vocal performance. I uh, wanted to be a singer. And then I don't know what it was like something was like, oh, let's try education. And so I finished I did my I finished my bachelor's um, in multidisciplinary studies, which is basically elementary education uh, from TLU. Uh, and started teaching. And my first official job with the district right out of college was uh, for Judson ISD. And I thought I was going to be teaching sixth grade English at Metzger Middle School. And then my first day there, they're like, oh no, you're going to teach eighth grade English. So I immediately remembered Miss Peterson telling me all those years ago, I think you'd make a great eighth grade English teacher. I was like, oh my gosh, she spoke that into existence. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I always think that's so cool how I I did not, it was not something I wanted to do initially. And then someone spoke it and that's how I, that's what I ended up doing. So that's how you started out. Was that Mm -hmm. kind of the only age range and and group of students that you were teaching? uh, No, I actually uh, did my uh, student teaching with third grade. And then my first job out of college uh, was actually for PCI. It was Parent Child Incorporated here um, with the Head Start program. So I taught three-year-olds for a semester. And then that's when I went to, to Judson. So I taught eighth grade English at Metzger and then transferred and taught college writing, college prep at Judson Early College Academy. And then from there, moved to Brazil and I taught internationally. I taught at an international school there. And there I taught seventh grade U.S. history, eighth grade and ninth grade English, and then eighth grade humanities. And during this time, I was also... Moved to Brazil just because? My my, my husband's job, um, he was working for 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 the federal government. And so while I was in Brazil, I was also still teaching online. I was teaching Texas students because um, I was I wanted to get into teaching online. And I met someone at one of my uh, PhD residencies and they were like, hey, I work for, um, it was Edmentum. I was like, oh, cool. So I started teaching Texas students online for districts that didn't have the ability to hire uh, certified teachers or like AP teachers and things like that. And so I still got to teach uh, Brazilian students and like international kids. And at the same time, I was teaching Texas kids. It, you know, helped me remember home and 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 do that. And so that's uh, what I did. And then when we moved to Switzerland, I stepped out of the classroom and started doing some other things. And that's when I started working for an educational nonprofit. I worked for Explo. Um, it's based out of Boston. We did summer programs on the, the East Coast. I was the assistant director of teaching and learning for the Yale program. So I would move to Yale, old, Yale's old campus every summer and help run a boarding school, basically. And that was really fun. It was super exciting. I really enjoyed my time there because it pushed me to think about education in a different way. And that's where I kind of adopted that, oh no, school should be fun. Like education should be fun. Learning should be fun. Because before that, it was very much like everything doesn't have to be fun. Some stuff you just have to do. And and I, I wanted to get out of that mentality that like kids couldn't enjoy and couldn't have fun all the time when they were learning. So Explore really pushed me in that direction of trying to think outside of what was traditional education. And I also started doing some higher ed work. I worked for, uh, or taught some classes for George Mason University and 
did some uh, portfolio coaching for Johns Hopkins, their graduate program, their education program, um, and then did some educational research and published some studies around blended learning and stuff like that. And moved back to the States and kept working for Expo for a little bit and then decided I wanted to try to open uh, a school, open a charter. And so I founded Single Seed. It was, it's a, it was a small nonprofit. We did a tutoring at no cost to children here in Bear County. Um, I was wanting to test out some of the blended learning concepts that I was working on. And so we applied. We um, were not successful with uh, our application. We had an 83, needed an 85. And, and at that point, you know, the, the push was, Shawana, you should reapply. You should reapply and, you know, you know, we'll help you and all of that. And I believe that, like, I thought, you know, yeah, I could, right? Like, I could reapply here or I could spend my time working for a school or a place that was already in existence and that needed um, some help, right? Who could use the skill set that I had? Because I do have a, a pretty unique skill set and that I've done Very unique. I was a say. <laughs> lot. <laughs> I've yeah. done a lot of things in education. And so I put, you know, put the the charter on the shelf and was like, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to UTSA and get my um, superintendent uh, certification. Because um, at this point I had finished my PhD. I'd finished like all of these other things. And I was like, maybe I just need to learn more about what it means to be a superintendent and those types of things. So I uh, enrolled at UTSA's superintendent program. Shout out to them. It was a great program. And when it came time to do my internship, I knew that I would not be able to get into a traditional public school because I didn't work for them. Like I didn't work for a traditional public school at the time I was working as a not, you know, in a nonprofit. So I, um, I think I texted, I don't know if I texted him or I emailed Paul Morrissey, who is the founder and CEO of Compass Rose Public Schools. And I said, hey, I'm doing my superintendent internship. Can I be your intern? And he was like, absolutely. So, um, that, <laughs> so that was fine. So I started um, interning with Paul and my first project or my capstone basically for my superintendency was to help build out the, the high school that was coming online the next year. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started with, with Compass Rose was uh, I was doing my superintendent uh, internship and um, really enjoyed the work that was happening there. And um, I be- it aligned with my, my personal uh, vision of what, what we should do, like what should be happening in education. And so I um, planted some roots there. And so I've, I've been at Compass Rose. This is the start of my third year. Um, now I am a chief academic officer there and help work with a great team of people to build um, some really incredible schools. Well, Shawana, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you bring a unique experience of working with different age groups, early childhood, middle school, working in different countries for nonprofits. And speaking of that, you know, you bring that experience in some of your consulting work, it seems like. Now, is the consulting work that you offer and that you do for clients, is that outside of Compass? Yes, it is completely separate from Compass Rose. And I always ex- describe it as like d- my day job is chief academic officer of Compass Rose Public Schools. And when I'm not doing that, I do uh, consulting for a lot of different things. Like I Right now, the, the title is strategy coaching, right? Because it, I have clients that aren't educators, but I also have a lot of folks that are educators. And I do work with uh, nonprofits to support them and, and things like that. So But with that work, like I use the same types of skills 
to do both of those things, right? It's that strategic planning. It's the the 30,000 foot view of where you want to be versus where you are and what your what your path is going to be to getting there and getting there as quick as you want to get there. These are, I mean, these are things that I've used in my own personal life as I built out what my career would look like, right? When I first started teaching, I had a very traditional sense of what my career would be and the the path that I would follow. I'd be a teacher, then I'd be an assistant principal, then I'd be an academic dean, then I'd be a principal, then I'd go to the you know district office, and then I'd try to be somebody's uh, superintendent. Very traditional, but in actuality, the way my life happened was super non-traditional. And so I had to learn how to adjust my uh, my vision of what the future would look like for me. And so that's what I help other people do now is like think about all of these other opportunities that you can create and that can present themselves rather than focusing on this one view or this one path of where you want to be 10 years from now or 15 years from now. Well, I think it's so important that you do that. In one of the recent Essay Talk episodes, I was talking to a, a career coach more so, and I was just mentioning to her that I personally believe that, you know, whatever career field or industry that you're in, at some point in time, like you have to, well, I guess you don't have to, but I think you have to offer your insight and that training, especially when you have all that experience. And if you can bring that value to somebody else who's newer, maybe looking for the help or possibly even needs the help, that's just so important. And especially in an industry, in a field like education, you know, why, why do educators, why do teachers need you know, to learn about the strategy that surrounds curriculum and, you know, what what is that need? So that's a, it's a heavy question because there's strategy that is around curriculum. There's strategy around teaching, right? There's strategy also just around your career itself. And so when I'm working with people, the first piece is figuring out what are we going to be working on and then going from there. But when we talk about strategy around curriculum, um, your curriculum is, you know, that's the content that you want uh, your students or your your learners to engage with and to master. And so when you think about something like a, a scope and sequence, right, your scope is what are you going to cover in this unit, in this course, however you want to describe it. And then the sequencing, like in what order are you going to cover these things, right? And that takes, that's just strategy off top because things have to make sense. There has to be some type of logical progression for people in order for them to learn to master that content, especially as quickly as possible. So when we talk about you know, what college programs are producing in terms of their curriculum for pre-service teachers, what alternative certification programs are providing for uh, people who want to get into education really quickly and already have degrees, sometimes there are pieces of strategy that um, get missed a bit, right? Because that's not necessarily the priority, right? The priority might be teaching you these three to five classroom management skills and getting you in the door, which that's fine. We need people um, who want to be in classrooms, who want to work with kids. But the strategy is often the part that is not addressed as much as it should be, right? Or could be. And so that is the role of districts, of charter leaders, et cetera, 
to go back in to coach people around those strategy parts and helping them understand why you introduce a lesson the way you do, why you um, would put this unit before you put another unit, why um, you start with this content area first and then move into this the next year. But it requires thinking through what's the end goal. When you have your graduate profile, when you think about what you want your students to be able to do, that is where you get the strategy. That's where you get the start of it. And you start thinking about in order for that thing to happen, this is what I have to do now and what I have to do over the next several um, months so that I can support my students and get them towards mastery. It seems like that's so important because the way you described it, and again, I, I didn't go to school for education. I've never worked in education but the way you describe it and the way I kind of perceive it is it's become a little more streamlined, just like a lot of industries. It's become streamlined where you go to school, you get your certification, and then you get a teaching job and, all right, teacher, here's the curriculum. Teach it, whatever that may be. You know, sometimes thinking back to some of my classroom experiences, okay, we're going to read this chapter and then we're going to do a worksheet and that's it, right? <laughs> it's like, and then, and then it's done and it's like, well all right, that's all we're doing, you know, but, but like you said, it's more to that, right? Where I feel like whenever you streamline anything, no matter what industry that may be, you're losing that in-depth piece, like you kind of referred to and coming up with an actual, okay, what is the goal that we're trying to reach with this unit, with this overall curriculum? How can we get there? Like you said, how are we going to sequence it? Now that I think about it, I mean, I, I do feel like a lot of that is missing, in education is that really in-depth, like, okay, actual, whether it's hands-on or just kind of like having a, a discussion instead of just reading and doing a worksheet, right? Yeah, because there's so many classes I remember of just doing <laughs> doing reading and doing, doing a worksheet. Worksheets, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and that, like, first of all, like, if you get a curriculum, right? Because I have taught and there were times I didn't have a curriculum. Like, I had to create that myself, which oftentimes made it, it was more work because, you have to research these things and figure out like how, what's my map? How am I, how am I going from beginning to end? And then also find all of the resources to go with that. And then also ensure that you're addressing whatever your state standards are, your, your country standards are so that you can uh, be doing what folks have said you have to do. Right. And so there are lots of different experiences that teachers have. And so this is partially why I do this work that I do outside of my, my nine to five, right? Is the experiences that teachers have vary drastically depending on where they are, the type of school setting they're in, the type of classroom setting, the type of state, all of that. And so I find I often work with teachers who um, were like me and that didn't actually have coaches when they were in the classroom. Um, like I actually never had an instructional coach like consistently come in and go through the coaching cycle with me all the years that I was teaching. And so there are people with that same experience. And so that's who I end up working with the most are folks who don't have um, coaches that are on their campuses or in their districts or within their networks. Um, so that they can get that feedback on lesson planning and they can get feedback and, and get that additional those additional resources or learn where to go to find these resources to even begin to create a strategy for what their classroom looks like. And there are lots of reasons for that, right? Uh, one, the a biggest one being like education is a state, right? So there's not like a national, you have to do this thing. 
Um, every state kind of chooses what they're doing a lot. Most of the states in the U.S. use Common Core standards. Texas is one of few states that do not um, use Common Core standards. Um, they have, you know, we have the TEKS, the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. Um, and so with that, a lot of resources that are available to teachers don't really work as easily for, for Texas teachers. Like they have to do some work to them in order for them to be useful because they're creating, uh, they're created for different areas. Now, does that mean that the way we teach in Texas is vastly different from how it's taught everywhere? No. So you can still use those resources, right? And, and that's the one thing um, that we have to like get folks uh, in the right mentality around is like you can still use a resource that doesn't say Texas on it. You just have to do a little bit more in terms of figuring out the strategy around it. How are you going to use this? What parts will you use? What parts can you not use? Because it doesn't relate to what you're doing in that moment. But that type of training typically comes in graduate school. And it also comes when you're focused on curriculum and instruction, or also when you have a coach who is really strong in that area. So that's not training that teachers are just getting from their districts or from, from their, you know, their networks. Um, it really depends on who is supporting them, that type of resources that they get. And so uh, because of that, like I want to be a resource for teachers and also for people who don't want their children in the traditional school setting. So folks who are homeschooling. Um, I have clients who have worked with me because they want to develop their own plan for homeschooling or for what um, micro schooling looks like for their child or the, you know, creating like their, this life plan basically for their newborn of like, here are the, the experiences that I want my child to have. What does that look like? Um, so I've got clients that do, we do all kinds of things. Yeah. And I was going to ask, that's kind of related <laughs> to what the question I was going to ask, which mm -hmm. is, you know, is it just teachers that you're working with? Uh, but it seems like it's not. It's um, not. But now the direction I kind of wanted to go with that question is, are you working with principals at all too? Or And then here's the reason I ask. I'm thinking if we, I say we, right? You, if you're doing work, if you're doing work with a principal, you know, I feel like that work can go a lot longer, uh, can go a lot longer way because that principal is then going to hopefully kind of not teach it, but kind of work with their teachers under them using that, you know, what, what they learn from you. Yes. Um, so that's a great question. Uh, I have been asked a couple of times to, to, to coach some principals, to work with some principals, specifically around curriculum. And it is important for principals because principals are instructional leaders. And if you, as a, an instructional leader on your campus, don't know curriculum in a way to support your teachers, it will make it much harder for them to do what they need to do. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I have no problem working with principals. I would absolutely love because the, the impact is different when you teach um, a campus leader how to use curriculum effectively, how to take these resources and adjust them to the needs of the teacher and the students in the classroom. I have worked with a, a nonprofit, a local nonprofit that supports aspiring school leaders. So I have coached and, and done some consulting work with folks who were writing charters or folks who were in the process of building their own private schools and things like that. Just help them understand what it means 
to to create a curriculum or what it means to to house a curriculum. And the the big thing that I want people to um, understand about curriculum is that there is no curriculum that you are going to purchase out of the box that you can open it up and start using it and it's going to do everything you need it to do for the students that are in front of you. And if that's what you're looking for, I am going to, you're not going to find it. Because one, that type of mentality around education or around curriculum doesn't mesh well with the concept of personalization. It doesn't mesh well with the concept of looking at a student and looking at their needs and adjusting to what is, you know, the students who are sitting in front of you. Curriculum as resources is what we desire, right? Because we're going to have to adjust them based on who we're, who we're working with every day. But it's getting people to a place where they are willing to take those risks and willing to do something outside of exactly what was written on this paper by some random person who has never been in your classroom and never seen, you know, your, your students and doesn't, you know, know even the culture of the students who are using this curriculum. Because that's a whole other world, right? Is, is the curriculum they're using culturally relevant? Does it alienate certain groups of people and you're just using it because this is what because you have to right yeah. what you what you were told or because you truly believe that this is the only way that children can be educated now shawana you mentioned earlier that you also work with sometimes parents that mm-hmm. they're not necessarily teachers and they may or may not be homeschooling maybe they're not maybe they just want some kind of lesson plan if you will the phrase you used was like they have a life plan Right. For their their newborn or their little kid. You know, some of that seems a little bit like life coaching. I mean, do you also do kind of does that kind of turn into life coaching or do you kind of offer that as well? Uh, Sometimes. Right. Like I, I do tell people, like, I am not a certified life coach. It is not a thing that is on my list of accomplishments to have. Um, I've got I, th- I think following you on Twitter can sometimes, you know, you can be a life coach. on there. I know, but it's unofficial. Right. No. So. Um, when I'm working with parents or other folks, it it can because I the way I see life, I see life in strategy, the way that I approach things, right? Like I think life is for living, right? It is for doing, it is for having experiences. And I know that when I say that, that comes with a certain level of privilege to be able to to make those kinds of decisions. Some of that comes from when I was younger, right? Like having this idea like this is what this is the life that I want to have. So here are the things that I have to do to increase the odds that I get it. And so I did it, right? I, I did those things. I had a lot of help from my village, from people around me who supported me and made sure made sure I got there. And so all the only thing that I when I work with folks is like I just try to get them to see who are the people in your village, who are like what are the things that you can impact? And let's work on impacting those. There are always going to be things that are outside of our control. There are always going to be inequities and institutionalized racism, right? All of these things that we have to contend with. And you would never see me, you know, hear me say those don't exist. They absolutely exist and they make it harder for us. But I got to a point at my in my life where it was like, yes, I know this is going to be harder. But if I want X and if I want to help create a better world for my children and children who come after me, I'm going to do this extra work to get to a place that I can then impact others and I can then um, affect change. And so when I'm working with parents, it's around that, right? Parents want their children to experience lots of things, but they're not sure 
Like, is there a certain place I have to go? Or is there a certain like order that this has to be in? And what I do is just try to calm those fears, right? Like, no, it doesn't, there's, they can still be successful if they do all these other things in life. Again, it's, it goes back to that helping people broaden their understanding of what success is and then create those definitions for themselves. And when we're working with, you know, when I'm working with parents around their children, I do try to continuously say, now you're making this plan of like experiences that you want them to have and things that you're going to do so that they um, they can grow and learn and do all these things. But you as a parent have to also recognize that your child has autonomy and they will, they'll become a point where they may not want to do these things that you have planned and you have to adjust. Right. Because if the goal is creating children that feel whole and that feel listened to and that feel supported, it means when their idea of what they want doesn't fully align with what you know parents' idea is, that there's communication there, that they're talking about it and that they can adjust that life plan, adjust those strategies to things that are going to fulfill that child. But when you're a little one, Like your parent is the one who's trying to help you, you know, create these or put these experiences in front of you. And I did the same thing with my kids. Like my my husband and I, we, you know, sent our son to Explo uh, so that he could have the experience of living on a college campus for three months or three weeks and meeting other people. Like we moved abroad so he could have that third, you know, that that culture of um, what it's like to be outside of you know, the country you um, were born in and, and meet other people and experience other cultures and see other things to ensure that his his worldview was a little bit, little bit wider, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to go move abroad to have those experiences. No, but it does mean that as adults, we have to give kids the opportunity to do these things and explore these things and see these things in their classrooms every day. Pen pals and videos and (laughs) discussions, right? And all of these opportunities, summer programs, opportunities to engage in different types of things so that what they're creating is much more freeing for them rather than having them feel like I've only ever been in this one place. I've only ever seen this one thing. I can't branch out and I I can't try new things. So when I work with parents, that's what we work on. Like what are gonna be those things that are critical experiences that your child may want to have um, or experience so that they can create different worldviews. You know, and and the whole big picture here is education, improving education, creating better opportunities, um, and creating better individuals, creating better adults, right, for a better future, not just here in the country, but in the world, and, and not just in education, in your own world, in your own family, you place a big emphasis on the upbringing of children and what that means. And you, you know, talked a little bit a little earlier about sometimes there is that miscommunication between a parent and a child. And sometimes there's conflict. (laughs) I say sometimes, I don't know what that's like. I don't have children, but I hear it. I hear it. (laughs) And I can remember my, you know, my conflicts with, with my parents. And sometimes you share that, you share that on Twitter. And I don't, I don't know if you share that anywhere Mm -hmm. else, but on Twitter, you definitely have shared that. I think, you know, the, the most viral tweet you had, um, you can explain that here in a second, but you know, it seems like every tweet you put out, there's like an automatic like 200 likes on that, like just on the get go <laughs> at, at the very least. But um, kind of talk about, you know, that interaction. You don't have to spend too much time, but kind of explain that interaction that you had with your daughter, Shawana, and the reason why you shared that. 
Sure. Um, so I have in my life wanted to be not an open book because I don't like people all in my business, but I do value transparency in a way that helps people feel seen. And so one of those things is sharing my experiences as a parent, because as a, as a teacher, as an educator, and also as a parent, there are things that I use my formal schooling as I work with my, with my own children. And so in that particular thread, because there have been a couple of parenting threads that have made the rounds, but in that particular thread, it was about um, a conversation that my daughter and I had. She was not feeling very well, right? And because she was, she's so young, she didn't know what she was feeling and she didn't know why she was feeling it, just that the way it was coming out was in rudeness to, to me. And so in that moment, instead of, you know, like I always say, my ego kicking in and me wanting to establish authority and telling her, you can't talk to me that way. Um, I asked her, you know, why are you being mean? Like, what's going on? Why are you treating me this way? And um, her response was, I don't know. And just crying like tears immediately. So it gave me an opportunity to practice um, modeling vulnerability and to help her find the words, because that's what our role is as adults, as teachers, as, as parents, as coaches, is to help children find the words to explain what they're feeling inside. So we went through, you know, we talked about why she was feeling this way and like that this is something that's normal, it's typical, like lots of times people just don't feel right. Uh, and instead of acknowledging that and saying, hey, you know, I need a minute to get myself together, they can react to people in ways that hurt feelings, even though, especially when that person didn't deserve it. Um, and so we practiced, you know, saying, hey, I'm not my best self. I need a minute uh, because I wanted her to to find those words to be able to one self-soothe and and to identify within her what's going on. And, and so that she can know this is a time that I need to be in my room or I need to be by myself for a second to to figure out uh, what my emotions are right now. And so we did that and we don't, we went and, like I said, bought some clothes and stuff like that and, and <laughs> felt better. Um, but that experience was a, was a foundational piece um, for us to, in all further communications, when it was clear that, you know, she was feeling upset or angry or frustrated, it was an opportunity for her, for me to pause those conversations and say, hey, is this one of those times where you need a minute? And she will, you know, yes, I do. And then she goes and, you know, takes care of it, gets gets her, her mind together, comes back and like, okay, I'm ready to have this conversation. But it's about giving children the space to be humans, right? Um, oftentimes adults can forget what it's like to be a child, what it's like to feel human emotions and not have the words to explain them, right? And when we feel that as adults, no, there, there's no one who's telling us you have to respond to me this way. Like we can go and do what we got to do. We have the words. We grew up. But now it's our turn to teach children. Okay, here are the words for that feeling that you feel right now. Um, and here's some ways that you can cope with that. Here's some, some steps that you can take to um, make yourself feel better or to just honor those feelings and sit with that sadness for a moment. And when you're ready to move to the next thing, here are the things that you can do to, to make it better.
Why do you think that is that a lot of parents and maybe maybe the answer's simple, maybe it's just pure laziness, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, why do you think that in some cases parents just kind of resort to the tradition of, you know, go to your room, you know, or think about what you did or don't talk to me that way. Oh, because I'm the parent, you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. a decision being made and, and kind of asking for an explanation and, and that being given to the child instead of an actual explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wh- why do you think that is? Is it is it somewhat laziness? But is it also, like you mentioned, just kind of forgetting what that's like? I would say the thing that I think, right, because this is just my, my opinion on it. One, as adults, we tend to repeat what we saw when we were children. We repeat what was done to us in many instances. And so for many parents, the because I said so, because I'm the parent, because don't talk to me that way, because go to your room and get over it, that's what they got when they were feeling those things, when they needed somebody to talk them through it, when they needed somebody to be understanding, to choose empathy instead of power. So I I wouldn't say laziness. I would say more so don't have the skill set because it was never modeled for them. And the reason I have the skill set primarily is because I went to school to be an educator. (laughs) And so I had to take developmental psychology. And I took all of my educational courses really seriously. And I spent the time learning how we actually develop as human beings and what our brains do and what our emotions do, what are, you know, the physiological changes in our bodies when we're experiencing things. And I use that every day in the way that I communicate with my children. But there's, again, privilege in the fact that I went to school for this Right. Um, and so I always tell people, like, do not compare yourselves to people who went to, to went to school to learn these things. And that's another reason why I tweet what I tweet and I talk um, and I do. I've started doing IG lives to to help um, people who want to learn this because they didn't go to school for it. They probably didn't have those types of examples growing up. And so where will you learn it? When you look at media and you look at TV and you look at the typical relationship that parents have with their children on TV, they do the same thing. Go to your room. Don't yell at me. A bunch of screaming and all of those things. So there's not really a lot of examples for parents of how to do it this way, of how to choose positive parenting, of how to choose conscious parenting where you are, in fact, reparenting yourself while you are trying to parent your child. It is dealing with your own um, hangups and your own traumas, for lack of a better word, or your own things that maybe didn't go so hot when you were a kid. You got to deal with that yourself because those things become triggers for you as an adult, right? When a child raises their voice, that's a trigger for anyone who grew up around that type of environment. And the first thing you're going to do is, who are you talking to, right? Because that's probably what happened to you when you did it. Um, rather than saying, okay, let's figure out what's going on right now. And let's be like, I'm going to be the calm one because I'm the adult. (laughs) I'm the one. So they can kind of take that experience later on, you know, and and something I I think about through all this, and I've thought about before, this could honestly be an entire podcast episode (laughs) in itself, if not a series of episodes. Uh, But I wouldn't be the one hosting this one because I'm not, I'm not the experienced one. I didn't go to school for developmental psychology, but something it something that I do think about a lot is parenting is one of the, if not the most important things in life. I would assume you might agree with that, but we don't go to school for it. We don't go to school for it. It's not taught. 
And like you mentioned, Shawana, there's not a lot of examples for us. We have the media, we might have neighbors, we might have cousins or whatever, some, some in our family that we see little glimpses of how they parent, right? Whenever we're spending time with them. But aside from our own personal experience, there's no learning. There's and no so I think there's no on-ramp to this. Right, I think about that all the time. And again, I'm not a parent myself. My girlfriend and I, we are dog people. We have dogs and that's it. <laughs> um, there's no curriculum. There's no curriculum for it. Right. There and is it's so not. crazy to me. And I think that's, and again, and I know I keep saying, oh, that's why it's, it's important. The work you do, Shawana, but, but it really is. And it's not just yourself, it, but it's sharing those experiences and without people getting up in your business, you know, kind of being transparent <laughs> with that. And I appreciate when you do that because, again, even though it's not me, like, oh, that's how I'm going to be as a parent. But it's more of like someone, if, even if it's just one person that sees that, it's like, I can relate, you know, or that's happened recently. Maybe I can do something similar. It's, it just takes one, right, to make a difference. Whenever I see you tweet something like that, I... I love it. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Sometimes, uh, speaking of your tweets, sometimes I see replies, right? And it's not just you. I see replies all the time like <laughs> this whenever it's a situation kind of relevant to this. People just think as the generations go on, we're just softer and softer. And that's something I get to hear about my own generation being millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear about, you know, Gen Z, whatever it may be. It's always the same story. I'm sure the great generation said it about the boomers at one point, right? Like it's soft and soft, you know, you get softer and softer. But, you know, when we talked on the pre-call, you know, we were talking a little bit about, it's not necessarily that generations have got softer, but we've become more aware of mental health issues and things like that, right? And so what is your kind of take on, on generations being called soft now? Yeah. Um, I think when people say that it's oftentimes from a place of not recognizing the ignorance that comes from that type of commentary, we are human beings. What what good does it do to walk around life with walls up, with the inability to trust people? What good does that do? When we are teaching children, we are creating, and I don't mean this in a cliche way, I mean seriously, we are creating the future. And if we want a future where people can be human and people can uh, make mistakes and people can be vulnerable and people can love each other and understand each other and see each other's, uh, the beauty in each other and see the good in each other, then you have to start that in childhood. You cannot wait until children are adults and then ask them to be humane, to be uh, empathetic to care about other people. You have to start that from the beginning. So um, I actually don't, I ignore people when they use the, oh, (laughs) you're soft, you know, people are soft, those types of things, because we need more soft people in the world. We need more people who are actually wanting to be human beings and wanting to be empathetic and caring toward each other. We are in in a world right now where caring about the well-being of other people is becoming uh, or is seen as soft. And we can see the impacts of not caring about the well-being of other people. We have, what, how many people have died in the world through this global pandemic, right? And when your commentary is, oh, that's only 3%, it's only 2%. Like, how hardened do you have to be to not see people's lives and humanity as significant? So it's a thing that 
I've been on Twitter long enough and I have been trolled long enough and I have been attacked verbally long enough that it doesn't um, it doesn't bother me as much uh, when I when I see it. I just know how to mute them or block them or, you know, go on about my business. But when it comes to what our responsibility is right now as adults, it is doing whatever we can to not recreate this world that we have right now. And that means listening to children. That means valuing them because they're human beings. They're not second-class citizens. They're not less than because they're younger. They are human beings who have voices that need to be listened to. They need to be heard. They need to be protected. They need to be respected because you want that too. That's yeah, how and, I feel about the soft thing. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and earlier in, in your response to my question, you kind of asked the the rhetoric question of, you know, why would you want to be that hardened and have those walls up? The argument that some people make to that point is, or the answer I would say that someone would with that mindset would give you is, well, because life's hard. You know, you need to be hardened to be prepared for life. But ironically enough, that proves the point because they're admitting that life is difficult and life is hardened. Well, why is that? Well, because that was the tradition that's that's always been, you know, well, you're creating these adults that don't care, they don't have the empathy that, you know, those kind of traits. But if you can create a world that is softer, <laughs> you know, through through children, well, then life won't be that. <laughs> life will be softer, you know? And so that's why I think it's so ironic about that response. That well, because life's hard. Well, yeah, okay, that's my point, right? <laughs> that's the whole it's a point. Cycle. It's a cycle, and people have to want to be different. Same with parents. You have to want different. You have to want to choose different because different is hard. Different is hard. It requires you to unlearn something that you've learned, you've known for 20 years, 30 years, something you've seen repeated time and time again. And because you see it so much, you think that's truth. You think that's ultimate truth. And that's not the case. That's just what you were around. It's just what you've been exposed to. But it doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be. And so as long as I'm on this earth, like I'm always going to want to try to be different and try to be softer and try to ensure that children know that somebody cares about them. Because it doesn't help to grow up feeling like people aren't going to care about you. People aren't going to value your experiences people won't care about your tears so don't so don't cry like no people can care they do care and the more that we teach children that it's okay the more adults we will grow that know it's okay well shawana dr shay i appreciate conversations like these because i just really feel like number one i feel like they should be heard Mm -hmm. Uh, But number two, it's, you know, a lot of these conversations are are conversations that people have in the, in the background that don't get uploaded to podcasts. And I think it's so (laughs) important to share these. And I love episodes like this where we get to talk about it. But I always end my essay talk weekly series on a light note, a lighthearted note. And I do that by asking kind of your favorite places around San Antonio and being that you were born in San Antonio. I know you moved, (laughs) um, but you're born in San Antonio and now you're living here again. What are some of your favorite places around town that, that you enjoy frequenting? Um, so I am a homebody. Uh, my grandmother actually was just telling me today that if I, my son and I, if we never had to leave the house, we wouldn't. And that's true. Um, <laughs> but when I when I think about where I like to be in San Antonio, 
Uh, I like the side of town I live on. I live in Converse on the Northeast side. I, I really just love being around this place, seeing all the different types of people. Where I go eat probably two times at minimum a month is smashing crab because I really okay. love I really love the shrimp boil. I just I want it right, so um, <laughs> I go there often. Um, I actually really enjoy walking around the malls, like all of them. And just people watching. It's actually what we do, right? Like we sit down and we get ice cream or we get something and and we just watch people and we see how they interact with each other. And then we tell stories about them, right? Like those are <laughs> those are the things that are the most fun to me. We were just at the river walk. That's a great Maybe. place to people watch. Uh-huh. Um, especially <laughs> last week we went to see uh, Shang-Chi, uh, which amazing, by the way, if you haven't, you need to go see that. But um, love to go to the river walk and just look at people. And just watch people just driving around San Antonio. There are still parts of San Antonio I've never been to. So when I'm when I'm in the car, I put on the map and all right, let's go see what's on this side of town. Um, <laughs> so just trying to see all that exists here in this city and the things that have changed about this city. I like being, like I said, on the northeast side, on the southeast side of town because that's where I grew up. That's where I'm, um, you know, where I'm most comfortable. Before I get you out of here, uh, I want to make sure that you plug in, you know, where the listeners can find you, find your work, where can they schedule with you, right? Uh. <laughs> um, and anything else coming up that you that you want to plug in here? Sure. Um, so my handle is the same across all social media. Uh, I am mostly on Twitter at Dr. Shay and then ED, Dr. Shay Ed, um, Instagram too. Uh, but I mostly you get the you'll get the real side of me on on Twitter um, for the <laughs> most part. And then my website is www.drshayed.com. And that's where you will be able to book or, or chat with me about projects you have or ideas that you want to you want to come to fruition. Or if you're a parent and you're thinking about homeschooling or you're looking for schools, um, that's those are the things that, that I do. Well, again, I appreciate you. Dr. Chambers, I've had thank a great you. conversation. We've had a great conversation and I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you. That wraps up my conversation with Dr. Shawana Chambers. I'm going to take a quick ad break and I'll be right back with the question of the week as well as our local recommendation. Stay tuned. Hey guys, it's Zach. As some of you may know, I help people plan for retirement. And as your advisor, I can not only show you how money truly works, but put you in control of your money today and in retirement. If you're looking to schedule a financial review, please give me a call at 210-760-0409. Welcome back into SA Talk. I want to say thank you again to Dr. Chambers for joining me on the podcast. I really enjoyed our education-focused discussion. You know, I've said it before, I come from a family of educators. I'm kind of the oddball there. Um, I didn't end up working in education. Uh, but many of my clients also are teachers. And so having conversations like these, I really do enjoy them. I learned a lot about why the strategy surrounding curriculum is just as, as important as the curriculum itself, as well as how paramount it is that teachers really understand that. It was also interesting to get into the conversation about how we treat children, especially our own children. Now, obviously, I don't have any of my own, so I can't bring that experience into the discussion, and I didn't. What I can do is share my own experiences of being a child mixed in with the things I see and witness in other families. And really, when you think about it, it's so true that a lot of people out there try to 
quote unquote, harden their kids for the quote unquote, real world. You know, we hear that a lot. But again, it goes to show what kind of world we've created for those children and created for ourselves. We've created the hardened world. And that's why we're trying to raise our children that way. But I really personally believe that generally speaking, we have become more aware of the societal wrongdoings and how we've tried to harden people. Um, and more people are consciously trying to correct that. I don't have stats. I don't have anything to back that up. It's just a personal opinion of mine. But I, you know, I think when people say that we've become soft, it's an example of that. It's an example of people realizing how cruel the world can be and instead trying to have compassion for people and really care. In my opinion, I think we have become soft. And I mean that in the very best way. In fact, I think the world needs to become more soft than it already is. But with that said, let's get into the local recommendation of the week on the SA Talk podcast. This week, I'd like to recommend Buns Handcrafted Burgers. Love the name, by the way. It's still fairly new, and it's located downtown at 122 East Houston Street, right by the Rand Building, if you know where that is, or Geekdom is, um, right in the heart of downtown. Now, you have to keep in mind that these are handcrafted burgers, so don't go in expecting just to pay a dollar or two like you might at a fast food joint or McDonald's. Um, But though the prices are slightly higher, the flavor and taste definitely make it more than worth it. The first burger I tried whenever I went was the Mercedes Buns, which includes the house beef, chipotle mayo, lettuce, tomato, refried beans, pepper jack cheese, roasted poblano pepper, egg, and bacon. I've also been fortunate enough to order the Ocean Buns, which includes blackened shrimp, that same chipotle mayo, tomato, avocado relish, and lettuce. I didn't know how to feel at first with the shrimp in my burger, but it was actually really, really delicious. Aside from their famous burgers, they do have some great sides, including an assortment of fries and options for the kids as well. And from what I hear, what's really underrated is their milkshakes. And though I haven't tried it personally yet, the churro milkshake is on my list to try the next time I stop in. And they're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and only open until 6 p.m. on Sunday. So be sure to try them out if you're in the mood for a really good burger and keep up with them on Instagram and Facebook at Buns handcrafted burger that's buns with a z at the end now moving on to the question of the week do you think parents and people in society should raise their children to be tough to expect the real world or should we instill compassion and more caring characteristics into our children i'm really interested in hearing what you guys have to say if you want to answer on facebook or instagram do find the question post and comment below. If you want to answer on Twitter, you can do the same thing, but also tweet out hashtag SA Talk Answers. But with that said, that is going to wrap up another episode of SA Talk. I want to give a huge thank you to all the repeat listeners. It means a lot to me that you all keep listening to the episodes and content that I keep putting out. I also want to say thank you to any new listeners checking out the show for the very first time. If you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to check out my other series, Searching for San Antonio. It's a great interview series where I interview some amazing non nonprofit leaders and small business owners. And lastly, if you want to help the podcast out, please give a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any business owners you know are looking to advertise with a great local podcast, please reach out to me directly at Zachary, that's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, at sapodnetwork.com. Thank you all again. Have a wonderful weekend. See you again next week and viva San Antonio.